Okay, so we are in the book of James uh, for the second week, and we're going to be, if you want to turn there, we're going to cover two sections in James. Um, We are going to cover James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4, where he's talking about trials. Then we're going to just cover verse 12, and then we're going to flip ahead to chapter 5 and read 7 to 11. Um, We're going to be in James for seven or so more weeks. And what we're going to do, James, isn't like organized necessarily logically. It's organized kind of like, it was like a sermon that James gave. And so he just kind of like let it all out and he was all over the place. So we're going to take the themes um, and we're just going to pull all the verses out. So last week we, we talked about obedience, obeying God's word. Tonight we're talking about trials. We're talking about suffering um, and how we grow as Christians. So I'm going to read James 1, 2 to 4 real quick and then uh, verse 12 and then chapter 5. So let's do that. James chapter 1 verse 2 says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Then skip ahead to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. And then skip ahead to chapter five. And we're gonna read verse, verses seven to 11. <clears throat> James five, verse seven says this. Be patient, therefore, brothers, or brothers and sisters, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the day of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. That's God's word. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you speak to us. And I'm just so grateful lately, Lord, that we, when we open this book, we can know something true about you, God. This isn't just people's ideas. This is God breathed, the Holy Spirit. You, you inspired this book. And so we can know truth when we read this. And in a world, God, where we're just told like right is wrong and wrong is right and we're told you can't even know truth and things are relative and there's nothing real or solid. I'm just, God, I'm so thankful that you cut through that with your word and you say, I, I'm giving, I've given you truth and truth that sets you free and truth that leads you to life and ultimately truth that leads you to me, to Jesus. And so God, we, would we just uh, enjoy your truth? Would we sit humbly at it? Would we um, just submit to it? And above all, I just ask that we would experience and see Jesus more clearly. God, we want to see Jesus tonight. So would we do that? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So Book of James is, is honestly probably like one of the most intense 
uh, like straightforward books of the Bible. Um, honestly, like almost offensive. Like he just starts off, hey, count it all joy when you suffer. Like who, who starts saying something like that? Um, and so he, in James is talking about suffering in this little bit we're looking at. And, and I, I was thinking about suffering and I was like, do you know what? To be honest, the people I admire most in life, like it may be history, it may be my relationships, they're those, every single one of them has suffered deeply. Like everyone. There's actually not a single person who I'm like, I want to be like them. And they've just like floated through life. Not a single one. Every person I admire has suffered and then has come through that trial and says, and still says, yeah, God is good. Like when someone suffers and can come through and say, and God is good, I'm like, I I admire, I want to be the like, I want to learn from that person. And even just, I would probably say every one of your heroes, like even in fiction or in history, anybody who's accomplished something great, has gone through significant suffering and trials. And honestly, probably what we admire most about them is how they handled those trials. Like on anybody who's done anything great, it wasn't just easy, right? Like Martin Luther King, he wasn't just fighting for civil rights and it was just easy. And people are like, dude, you're awesome. I'll follow you. Like it was very difficult. And I love that God is really, really like honest and gritty about reality. He doesn't like... People say, you know, yeah, Christianity, it's just like a crutch. It just helps you get through. Like, James is really honest. He's like, hey, this is going to be really difficult. You want to follow Jesus? Like, this is going to be difficult. I love that the Bible is actually just really honest and just like will be very straightforward. And so in suffering, we're going to take pretty much all the verses we read, and we're just going to kind of look at different pieces of them. And the first uh, phrase I want us to look at is in chapter 5, verse 8. And it's when James says this, he says, establish your hearts, okay? Establish your hearts. What's he saying there? This is what James is saying. Suffering is coming. James is willing to look at every one of us and be like, hey, suffering is coming to you. It's coming. It will come. So establish your heart. Like, is your heart established? Is your heart ready for sorrow? Is your heart ready for trials? Jesus said the same thing. He said, hey, on this earth, there will have, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Like Jesus saying, James is saying, you need to like do something with your heart to prepare yourself for suffering. Like expect it. Like you, you honestly, there is a healthy sense in which we should be like, man, I don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning. I don't know what the world will be like tomorrow morning. There's this healthy sense where we need to establish our hearts. And honestly, when you prepare, like you alleviate much suffering. Even practically, my wife and I like camping. And we're like, oh, let's go on a road trip and we'll go camping at like the Grand Tetons and Yellowstone and just that area. Um, So we've never done that. We're going and we kind of noticed that the forecast was like, it's going to rain a lot. Um, But we're like, oh, it's fine. We'll be fine. And we didn't prepare. And you guys, it rained probably 90% of our like 10 days that we were there. It, the, the day before it had snowed and it was in the middle of August. And you guys, honestly, like it was hard. It was not like you're happy camping. It was like, you're trying to cook and it's just pouring rain. You're like, do you even set up a tent? It's just, you're just, everything is just soaking wet. 
and we're wearing like our rain jackets. And so we took our tarp, that's for your tent, and we like covered my truck with it and like the back. And we just slept in the back of the truck, just curled up. And it just like rained for like two weeks. We were not prepared. And it was honestly not very enjoyable. Um, on a like kind of more serious note, the reason Hurricane Katrina was so gnarly is because nobody was, pre- was prepared. And when the storm came, like the city, the government, nobody knew what to do. They, didn't, they hadn't prepared adequately for it. And like on the deepest level, if you are just unprepared for suffering, if you're not expecting it, like it is coming, suffering is coming to me, like it will be significantly more damaging for you than if you are able to establish your hearts and know like trials are coming. Trials are coming. Like, like honestly, like, are you ready for just a crazy doctor's diagnosis like tomorrow? Is your heart, like, how does your heart think about that? Does your heart go, oh no, that could never happen. Hey, you need to establish your heart like it could happen. Jesus and James out of love for us are like, you need to be ready. Um, we're Americans and we're millennials. And so since we were babies, like the universe has just been trying to protect us from suffering. Like, no, it's going to be fine. You can do anything. We're just trying to like make you comfortable. And then now when we hit this age, right, and we start to experience life a little bit, all of a sudden it's kind of traumatizing. We're like, wait, what is this world that I'm living in that's difficult? Like I went through that. I graduated college and I had my life more or less just spoon fed to me. And then all of a sudden like, got married and the parental support like was cut off. And I was like, what is this world I'm living in? And I worked many years at a job that I didn't want to. And I was like, I felt like I was above it. Like, why is this happening to me? That's just the world we live in. We have to be prepared for it. And then look at chapter one, verse two. This is kind of the next step. He says, prepared for what? For trials of various kinds. One person's trials may not be your trials. For some, it may be like a radical health situation. And then for someone else, it may be like a relational trial. And then for others of you, it may be like trials at work or maybe not getting work. Some of us, it may be like trials with our identity. Like literally, I, like, I can't figure out who I am. For some of us, it may be trials with your walk with Jesus. For some of us, it may be trials that we have caused with our own sin and bad decisions that we're living with. Some of us may be trials brought on by God as discipline for us. It's like various trials. It's various trials. And one thing that's not helpful is to like kind of compare ourselves to one another and like think, oh, their trial's better than my trial. Like we just need to be prepared for various trials. And what are trials? What are they doing? Look at verse three. This A trial is actually the testing, James calls it the testing of your faith. Okay, so this is important. A test implies design. A test implies this thing that is happening in your life. The trials that you've had are in or will come, like have design. And this is so important, you guys. We live in a universe, this is so good, where suffering is not in vain. Suffering is not meaningless. Suffering is not random. We don't live in a universe where it's like, hey, I just need to be afraid because when I walk out that door, something may happen. That's not the universe we live in. The worldview of the, the Western world is like, it is meaningless. It's just stuff happens. Sorry, it's just what happens. 
Christians, we know that there is actually a God who's seated on his throne who controls everything. Not a bird falls from a tree apart from him. And so that means that your life and your trials are actually designed by God. They're not random. God didn't see it coming. Like God is sovereign over the trials in your life. They're not a surprise to him. He's not scared. He's not stressed. Your trials are actually designed by God to test your faith. And I love that it's just every time you suffer, there's actually purpose to it. You may not embrace it. You may reject it. But you live in a universe where there is a sovereign God who designs even our trials. It is not in vain. It is a test. It is a testing of our faith. Now, like faith is the most valuable thing we have. And our faith, this is, you guys, the only way faith grows is through testing. That's how we grow. It's like your human body. The only way you grow and get stronger is when resistance happens, when, when, when you are getting tested. You guys, maybe most of you have heard this, how they, they purify gold or silver is they literally put it in a blazing, like boiling furnace. They melt it down. All the impurities come to the top. It's this testing. And then you can remove all the junk. And now you have a more pure piece of gold. The Bible says your faith is more precious than gold. And that is how you grow. That is how all your sin and your quirks and all the things that are not good, that is how God deals with them and handles them. He says, I'm going to allow you to suffer in this crucible. And as you suffer, and we know, like, we can all be pretty enjoyable when, when, the day is, when it's a good day, but when you're having a, a bad day, like, all of a sudden, like, things are coming out of you. are like, I didn't know that was there. I didn't know that was in me. And when we suffer, all of that stuff, like, just bubbles to the surface. And you know what? That's by God's design. He's like, that's great. Now I'm going to scoop it out. I'm going to identify it, and I'm going to scoop it out. Um, even, like, so, so for us, like, what's that dross in there? Like, what comes out when you're suffering? I want to ask you that. Like, take a minute and think about your life. What rises to the surface when you are suffering? Maybe it's just doubt. Like, God, are, what are you doing? Are you good? Maybe it's uh, an unhelpful dependence on something. Like, maybe a, a person or a group of people. Maybe it's, like, substances that aren't inherently wrong. But when you suffer, it's like, man, I need this thing. Like, what rises to the surface? Maybe it's just like a random, like, it's like video games or working out. Like, what comes to the surface when you're trying to cope with suffering? Maybe it's like an actual unhealthy pattern of sin. And, and so God says, I'm going to allow and design fire and trials so that that would come, that testing would bring to the the forefront, your issues, that I could deal with it. And, and here's what God's design is. So I want to bring it to the, to the surface. Now, here's what I want you to do. And look at verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4. And let, uh, or end of verse 3, the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness. Steadfastness. And then he later, he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Then later he says, we, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Okay, here's a nerdy moment that is going to be awesome. That word steadfast in Greek is uh, hypomene or, or hy- hypomene. I don't know how you say Greek, but it's a combination of two words, okay? 
Hypo, which means under, and mene, which means abide, which that's just fun. When I saw that, I was like, what? And this is what steadfast means. I will abide under suffering. That's what steadfastness means. Are you able to, when suffering comes, I'm going to stay put and abide right there in it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to abide under this trial and I'm not moving. That's what steadfastness is. And that's what God is trying to develop in us when we suffer. Will you stay? Like, it's awesome. Yes, abide with Jesus and in his word and in his presence. But will you also abide in this fiery trial? And I'm just going to stay put and abide there until it has its full effect. And that's just, that's honestly like, who does that? Who would willingly, I'm just going to stay here and just take it, just suffer. But God says, that is what I want you to do. I don't want you to numb out. I want you to remain present in this trial. I don't want you to like work your way out or fight your way out. I want you to remain present under this trial. I don't want you to doubt your way out. I don't want you to distract your way out. Like I'm calling you when you're suffering to just say, I'm going to sit here in this trial until it's done. And here's the thing. When we do numb out or when we do fight our way out, God loves you enough to be like, okay, fine. Here's round two and the trial's back. And you're like, what is this? And then you get your way out and it will keep coming until he brings whatever he wants to to the surface and takes it away. And that will only come when we sit under suffering. Like that's, nobody would tell you that. God is saying, that is what I want to do in you. In verse four, he says, remain steadfast that it may have its full effect. Let it have its full effect. Like God is like, I want to make a masterpiece out of you. I want to burn these things out of you. And I want you to allow, you just have to let it have its effect. Let it have its effect. Um, this, is, this is cool. That's, I love another nerdy moment. Uh, nature like bears this out. It testifies to the goodness of remaining in suffering. Uh, if you guys may maybe know this, when a butterfly is like uh, in the chrysalis and it's becoming a butterfly, it doesn't just like slit open its chrysalis and like fly away. It's like this long struggle to like get itself out. And if you were to like help the butterfly out, it will die every single time because it by design needs the like trial to get itself out to like, as it's doing this, its wings are getting strength and it requires that whole struggle. So by the time he's like got his way out of the chrysalis, he's ready. That struggle makes him ready to fly. And even, even a better one, this is like my favorite thing in the probably creation. Uh, the largest tree is the great sequoia tree. And the, it's cool to side note, they only live in California in like one area. If you've ever seen them, they're, they're, un, they're like unbelievably huge. Uh, you guys, there, there are trees, great sequoia trees right now that were alive when Moses was taking the Israelites out of, Israel, out of Egypt. They're the same tree that was alive then, is alive now. Did I say it wrong? No. Yeah, isn't that insane? Just let, just let that blow your mind. So how does that tree that was like, oh yeah, I remember Moses, like, and it's still there and you can go see it. How does it grow? Okay, they were designed to withstand suffering and they are designed to need suffering and trials to grow. So number one, 
They are designed to withstand fires. Their bark is three feet thick, like, I don't know, like the bark around it that you would like peel off a tree is like three feet thick. Uh, Their seeds are locked in pine cones that will not open unless a fire comes, forest fire, and then the, the pine cone opens, lets all its seeds out. Then... Um, the, the fire that like burns through everything, it clears all the ground and it, it can't burn a great sequoia. So it burns everything. It clears the ground. It makes the soil rich. And then the ashes fall from the fire and protect like the seeds from the UV rays so that they can take root and grow. And then the fire kills all the harmful like animals, like, uh, like ants and beetles and diseases that threaten the trees. And so th- these trees like exist because of fire and because of trial. And that is how they grow. This old school uh, pastor said, um, Christians, we're to be like that. We're to be like Moses's burning bush. We are to burn and not be consumed. We are to even be able to leap in the midst of the fire. Like that is where God wants us in life. Just sitting in fire being okay. Like I am okay here right now. And then he says, okay, as an example, we need this. We need help. He says, I want you in chapter 5, verse 10, to consider the prophets and to consider Job. I'm just going to list you a couple. You guys, there's a prophet named Jeremiah who, number one, didn't even want the job. God's like, I'm going to make you preach. And he's like, I can't help but do it. It's like fire in my bones. Not a single person ever responds to his ministry, ever. Not a single person repents, not a single, there is no fruit from his ministry. At one point, he's like prophesying and the king knows he's from God, but he's just annoyed at him. So eventually he just lets these guys throw him in a well. And then there's just this single verse and it says, and Jeremiah sunk in the mud. So he's being faithful to God. No one's listening. He's thrown in a well, just picture like just sinking into mud. Like, God, what are you doing? Like that was his ministry. That was it. And then he died. Uh, Elijah, you guys, you know, he suffered so much. He had the government after him. He was depressed and overwhelmed. Ezekiel, God told Ezekiel, I want you to lay on your side for over a year, butt naked. And I want you to, this is literally what he did. And I want you to build a little like mini version of Jerusalem, like, a, like toys. Like I want you to do this little model Jerusalem. And then I just want you to lay there. Oh, and for, for food, here's what I want you to do. You're going to have to cook with your own poop because you're not allowed to leave. And you just need to get a couple jars of like wheat and beans. And then you're just going to lay there for about a year. And then that's what I want you to do. Like that's what God told him. He's like, God, what? what is this? Like, what, why are you telling me to do this? And he even says, God, really, like, I haven't been unclean my whole life. You want me to cook with my own poop? And then God says, okay, you can use cow poop. That's like in the Bible. It's ridiculous. God says to Job, hey, I'm going to take everything away. And you probably know the story of Job. He lost all his children and all his riches and all his property. He has boils on his skin. His wife comes up to him and is like, just honestly curse God and die. That's what you should do, Job. And this verse in Job 121 says, Job sits on the ground with ashes on his head. And he says this, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave And the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Like, are you, is your heart prepared for that day to say, whatever comes, whatever the Lord takes from me, 
I know I don't deserve anything. I came in with nothing and I'll go out with nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. James is saying, that is how you suffer. That is what I'm calling you to do. And, you know, we suck at that. We just do. We don't, no, like, none of us are going to willingly just sit in fire until God does his work. And so God says, maybe consider one more person. And I, and I want us right now just to take a minute and to think about Jesus, the Son of God, and know that the greatest good in the universe came through suffering and through trials. And Jesus remained steadfast every time he was tempted by Satan. When he was in the garden the night before he was going to suffer, he remained steadfast. And listen, you, you maybe know this, Jesus didn't just physically receive torture and torment. Jesus received the wrath of God for our sin on the cross. That was the trial, the fiery trial Jesus experienced. Jesus literally took on hell on the cross, the wrath of God for your and my sin. And he remained steadfast for us that our sins could be forgiven that we could have the spirit in us and that now we are called, if we would follow Jesus, Jesus is like, hey, pick up your cross and follow me to a life of like suffering. That's what I'm asking you to do. Hebrews 12 in uh, the NLT says this, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Job Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Jesus. Let us, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance. It's the same word, steadfastness, the race that God has set before us. Like he's, he's calling all of you to a specific race with specific suffering. And he's like, let us run with steadfastness. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. I think when we consider Jesus, that's how we can like come full circle to the first thing James says, hey, I want you to count it all joy when you suffer. I think that's how we do it. When I, how, how could I have joy in this fire? Because when I suffer and stand fast, I know I'm made more like Jesus. And I know my sin is getting burned away. And you know what else? When you lose, when you lose something, it, it helps you understand and appreciate the treasure that is Jesus. Like, like when you don't have something else to lean on and to rely on, like you don't even have the option anymore, you realize how good Jesus is. He's not going anywhere. And he is a treasure better than anything you had in the first place. And sometimes God says, man, I'm gonna take things from your life so that I can give you myself, so that that you would experience how good it is to have me, to have Jesus. Like, I get Jesus right now. My life is, is falling apart, but I have Jesus. I have him. 
My suffering presses me in to Jesus. And then James kind of gives us this picture of the end game because he says, hey, the day is coming when, when, when you've withstood the test, you will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And in chapter 5, 7, he says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Like, number one, we, we can have joy and suffering because we get Jesus. Number two, we just like Jesus know, hey, there's an end game and I'm going to see Jesus face to face and the suffering will be over and I will be with him. Um, I'm going to close with this little story. Maybe you guys have heard of it. Um, this, there's this man named Horatio. How about that? Spafford. Um, he wrote the hymn, It Is Well. And he was, he was a successful lawyer in Chicago in the 1800s. And he like invested all his money into property. And then the Chicago fire comes and he loses everything. Then... He's like, okay, maybe we should go on vacation. This is rough. Uh, before, as they're preparing for vacation, his four-year-old son gets scarlet fever, so they don't go on vacation, and his four-year-old son dies. Then they finally get their vacation planned. It's him and his wife and four daughters, and they take this ship uh, from, you know, like the East Coast to Europe, and he had a little more work to do, and he's like, you guys go ahead. I'll, I'll like, you start vacationing. I'll be right there. And on the ship, on the way to Europe, their ship hits another ship, and the ship sinks, and he, his four daughters drown, and his wife like survives on a life raft, and he gets a telegram from his wife saying, I have, I'm the only one, like I, I, I've survived, I'm the only one left, but with much suffering, and he just knows my son died, my four daughters have died, and my wife is alone, just experienced that in Europe, and so he leaves everything, and he goes to see his wife, and as he's Passing through like where the wreck happened. There, the captain was like out of, he was like, hey dude, just so you know, this is where it happened. And he, as he saw the ocean and the waves, he was so overwhelmed. He went down to his room and he wrote these words. Listen to these words. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. (coughs) And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as the scroll, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. You guys, two things get us through our trials. Number one, Jesus, the fact that he died for us and our soul is secure. And then number two, we get to look forward to that day when suffering is over and you are going to see Jesus face to face. No more suffering, no more sorrows. And so we're going to just spend some time singing of the love of Jesus for us um, some of us probably right now are in some trials. And, and I, I would just say, let us together like abide with Jesus in those trials. Let's like bring ourselves to him like, Jesus, here I am in that trial. I love for us, we're gonna have a prayer team. If you, if you need prayer, like, and, and you don't necessarily feel comfortable with who's around you, like, come get prayer. I would love if we prayed for each other. Like, if we were willing to be like, hey, honestly, like, I'm in a, I'm a, I'm in a hard spot. Like, will you pray for me? 
and, and maybe even us, maybe we know if some, some people are in trials, like, let's pursue them, and let's pray for them. And then, above anything else, let's, like, just look to Jesus and sing of what he has done, that he has purchased our soul, that it is well with us. And let's look to him for strength in our trials. So Jesus, I just, I thank you for your word, for preparation, for suffering. It's, it's a hard word. It's not necessarily encouraging, but God, you love us enough to say, hey, I love you. And there are trials that are coming, but I want you to know I'm going to be with you I've designed them for your good. I want to burn away this dross in you, and I want to make you steadfast like me. Jesus, thank you that you are the faithful one, that you are the steadfast one, that where, where we haven't been faithful, you are faithful for us on our behalf. You've covered our sins. And Jesus, I just ask now for those of us who um, are in trials of whatever kind it may be, maybe we're just stressed out. Jesus, that we would remain steadfast with you right now. That, that I ask that, Jesus, you would clearly, like, noticeably minister to us tonight. I ask that, that we, as we worship you, maybe seek, like, prayer, that we would actually be ministered to by you, Jesus. That you would sustain us, that you would strengthen us, that though we grow weary or overwhelmed, that we would experience this lifting of our head, that we would experience the peace of of the Holy Spirit, the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, now as we just seek you, would you come, would you minister to us?